So welcome back everyone. If it works to have your video on, it's really nice for me to be able to see people. So that's a request. If you can put your video on, it's uh, much appreciated. Have, have uh, more of a sense of uh, community. Thank you. I want to continue this morning. It's morning for me, it's afternoon for some, and it's evening for some. So uh, I didn't say earlier, good morning, good afternoon, good evening. So in any case, uh, for me, uh, morning. So I want to explore uh, really for a third time the loving kindness or meta practice. And I want to do so in a different way than I've uh, done before, connected with the guided meditation. What I'd like to do is to explore a very, very interesting area, which is how we connect our kind hearts with clear seeing, with wisdom, with mindfulness, with awareness. It's a really interesting question because the practices that we do seem to be separate, right? And we have loving kindness practice on the one hand and mindfulness on the other. And when we look to the actual text, they seem to be quite distinct. And so how do we, how do we make that connection? And it's, it's, um, a question which I think is both very interesting, it's related to a lot of aspects of our daily lives. It could be like, how do we connect our kind hearts with our minds, right? In the culture, there's a lot of disconnection between, we might say, between thoughts and emotions, and I'll, I'll talk more about that. And so it's a really interesting and I think very important question. And my, my energy for developing the talk today really um, has come a lot out of my own practice, where I think my own inclination, maybe biographically and in my own experience, has been probably, certainly initially, to emphasize the clarity side, maybe the wisdom side more, and been emphasizing the hard aspects for a long time, but I notice that sometimes like my awareness can be very clear, but does it have a really strong quality of warmth and metta? Not always, right? And so it's an interesting question. And again, for me, a really important practice question. How can we have that integration more fully of the kind heart with our wisdom, our clear seeing, our mindfulness, our awareness? That's what I want to explore today. So it, it very much uh, connects with the guided meditation, hopefully, and I'll, I'll refer to some of what we explored uh, in the guided meditation. So in the last two sessions, which are on the website Dharma Seed, uh, I explored initially the nature of loving kindness, how we practice, and some of the challenges to that. I want to just very, very briefly review some of what we've covered as a kind of background for what we'll do today. 
you know, just to remind us that loving-kindness is the translation of the word metta, M-E-T-T-A, which is connected etymologically in Pali and Sanskrit with words for friend and friendliness. And I, I like the account of loving-kindness that my colleague Anushka Fernandapola gives, loving-kindness or metta as unstoppable friendliness. How does that sound? How would you like to have unstoppable friendliness? Well, that's where we're going. That's, that's what we're developing. And uh, it's related to really other qualities, we might say, of the awakened heart, compassion, joy, equanimity, uh, and also ones that weren't explicitly mentioned by the Buddha, such as, I would say, gratitude, and forgiveness are, are very much are very much linked. And loving kindness most basically is the invitation moment to moment to lead with kindness, to be there with warmth and kindness. And we can practice in a variety of ways. We can practice in our formal meditation practice, as probably many of us uh, practice, with the repetition of phrases which are chosen to evoke warmth or friendliness. How many people practice with phrases? Probably, yeah, probably most of the people who have their videos on. Again, if you've come back a little later and it's possible to have your video on, that's very much appreciated so I can, can see people. And we can also do the practice of the radiating meta, which we uh, did in the guided meditation and which we've done in previous sessions which may be closer to the way the Buddha actually taught loving-kindness. It's more an energetic and embodied radiating out of warmth and friendliness and can be uh, really wonderfully brought into uh, groups or public settings and so forth. So we can do that both formally and in our daily lives. And then we find ways to bring out uh, loving-kindness. It might be just going to a meeting and giving oneself an intention. Can I, can I be here as much as possible with kindness? You know, and then whatever happens, happens, you know, and, um, and so forth. And there, you know, and there, I mentioned also, I think last time I was here, the challenges to loving-kindness practice. Of course, the challenge of distraction. That's a challenge to our meditation practice generally. And we talked about different ways to work with that. Another challenge was that we sometimes uh, don't have access to our kind heart. It can feel like, okay, where is my kind heart? You know, I feel a wall. And it may be especially with loving kindness towards oneself. There can feel a wall sometimes. How many people actually sometimes feel that wall with loving kindness for yourself, right? That's that's very common. And it's that's why we the Buddha said that loving-kindness towards self is the easiest way to, to evoke loving-kindness. We've had to modify those instructions in the 20th and 21st century <laughs> based on what we find, you know, in at least in, in kind of mainstream Western conditioning. And then a, a third challenge is that uh, loving-kindness tends to evoke... Um, material that comes up. It can be, there can be, you know, like, like I just mentioned, there can be the judgmental mind, 
there can be unresolved or unprocessed issues come up. We sometimes talk about loving kindness as a purification practice, which brings up a lot. And we certainly see that when we have uh, loving kindness retreats. So that's where we've explored. So today I want to take this further and say, really, how do we connect our loving kindness practice to our mindfulness practice, our wisdom uh, training, our clear seeing, our awareness? And I want to, I want to have uh, really four areas that I'll explore in the talk, and then we'll open it up to discussion. And those four areas are, first, I want to talk briefly about the cultural tendencies or pressures to have the clear seeing or our thoughts, our minds, our wisdom be separate from the kind heart. That's, I'll talk about that briefly first. And then secondly, I'll talk about how even in Buddhist practice, there often seems to be a separation. You know, as I mentioned, we seem to have separate practices. That's why in the guided meditation, I was, I was bringing them together some. But they they're, tend to be separate practices, loving kindness and mindfulness. So even there, there is a separation. But then thirdly, I want to talk about how there are also in the Buddhist tradition, and I think in other traditions, ways of bringing them together, ways of bringing the kind heart and the wisdom, the mindfulness practice together. And then lastly, I'll talk about very concretely about some ways to practice, which will be similar to some of what we just did in the guided meditation, some ways to practice to have more of a connection between the loving kindness practice and our wisdom and mindfulness practice. So that's the, that's the overview of the you know, four, four areas, which I'll go through, then we'll, then we'll talk together. And so see as I speak what resonates with you, maybe what questions come up, some of your own parallel experiences. So first, first area, I think that there, in many parts of the culture, there are tendencies to separate, we might say, the mind and emotions, to separate uh, thinking and emotions, to separate out, um, yeah, uh, thought and our kind hearts. You know, and this is, you know, we can find this, you know, very much, uh, very much in the culture for the last, certainly for the last few hundred years. You know, one example would be the way that um, uh, kind of an influence would be that, you know, in the development of uh, natural science, empirical science, you know, one of the ways that that gets defined, how do we develop uh you know, accurate knowledge, we have to be able to see things without bringing in our emotions. It's, it's often said, right? We have to have rationality, which isn't emotional. We don't bring in our values. We just have to see clearly, right? And there, you know, so we might say that the main cultural form of knowledge involves that separation, right? And much of what we were taught in school sort of follows that model, you know, and, and I'm not uh, immediately criticizing the model. I'm just saying that it's, uh, 
a, a basis for that, for that separation. I think there also are a lot of almost like, um, you know, models of some, some related to gender that I know when I look at my own background, I was really raised, and I mentioned this, I think, a few weeks ago, I was really raised to be a thinking person. You know, I was raised to think all the time and not even to be very much in touch with my emotions. I had to learn that once I um, kind of got into my 20s, something like that. But I was, you know, someone would ask me, you know, how are you feeling? And I would give them thoughts. You know, and again, this is, uh, I, think, I think it goes across all genders, but that was certainly my conditioning, and it's pro probably more predominant with men. How many had some version of that conditioning? Yeah. And so, um, so that, that's part of, part of the basis as well. You know, so um, for me, I had to sort of learn to lead with the heart, and loving-kindness practice has been really important. You know, um, relationships, uh, periods of psychotherapy have also been been very helpful. And so having that integration, that integration of thoughts and emotions, and I, I would also add of the body, which I'll, I'll speak about in a moment. Today I'm primarily talking about thoughts and emotions. I think can be a very important uh, personal edge, has been for me, maybe has been for many, many of us, to really develop our emotional lives more. I think it's also a larger scale cultural interest or social interest, you know, that how do we, for example, in our education, have the learning of what's sometimes called emotional intelligence. You know, I was not taught in my education how to be emotionally intelligent, right, or even how to be in touch with my emotions, right? I think that's a horizon that is happening more. You know, it's a horizon for education, for our sense of what a fully developed human being is. We're bringing in, we're bringing in the emotions more. And I think overcoming some of those splits, which again have historical bases, partly in the definitions of knowledge and science. You know, I remember... Um, there's a famous passage from the uh, philosopher Pascal, I think from the 17th century. Some of you may know this quote. He said, the heart has its reasons of which reason knows not. <laughs> Some of you may remember that one. And I think it's also a matter, and I'm not going to speak so much of this. This could be a subject of a whole nother uh, talk and exploration, but it's also really crucial to bring in connection to the body and ultimately to connect the, you know, the, we might say, thinking, emotions, and the body. And I know for myself that it's been very important to ground in the body through uh, mindfulness practice, through Qigong, in other ways, because I can be, I can have my integration of my, even of my thoughts and emotions and if I'm not grounding in my body, I have found that sometimes I can be uh, knocked around by things that kind of uh, disturb me. And grounding in the body can be really, really crucial. So I've done periods of practice really grounding in what the, uh, in Qigong is called the uh, Tantian, 
around the belly, the hara in Japanese, that can be uh, really a beautiful complement for our heart practices. Many of us can be really have our hearts deeply open and easily be knocked around. Anyone have that experience of, you know, of just knowing that? And grounding in the body can play a big role. So I'm mentioning that because it's important, but I won't focus so much on that now. Maybe, maybe a future time. So that's the first area, that there are these cultural and social splits, and that it's actually very important to overcome that split. And then the second area that we seem to find, I don't know if it's not exactly the same, same kind of split, but we find versions of a separation between wisdom and mindfulness on the one hand and the kind heart on the other, even in some aspects of Buddhist tradition. And so, you know, to the best of my knowledge, the typical ways that the Buddha taught mindfulness and that we teach mindfulness at Spirit Rock and other places are pretty much more about um, developing mindfulness in relationship to the different constituents of experience. And that the mindfulness is a kind of clear seeing, but it's not typically taught, at least in the text, and in the typical way we teach, it's not typically taught as a warm, clear seeing. We develop a mindfulness of the body, of thoughts, of emotions. We develop mindfulness of emotions, but it's usually seen as a clear seeing, being mindful. You don't find the language of saying, uh, you know, you don't find in the um, traditional text them saying, let your loving kindness merge with your mindfulness when you know your experience. That's what I'm saying is a, could be a way to practice. I don't think it's in necessarily in conflict with the teachings of the Buddha, but I'm just saying, as a matter of fact, we don't find it, right? We find loving-kindness practice taught as a separate practice. In the instructions for loving-kindness, generally speaking, they're not instructions that say, um, let this merge with your mindfulness practice. You know, I'll, I'll give some caveats to saying that in, in a little while, but we don't, we seem to, you know, and probably most of us have experienced training in mindfulness separately from training in loving kindness. How many people have, have experienced that? Yeah, so it's, it's pretty, yeah, even, even though they, you know, we can have teachers who may give that guidance, like Sylvia does, may you see, may you meet every moment fully. May you meet it as a friend. And when we teach the um, the metta retreat, we try to we try to talk about the connection of of metta and and mindfulness. But there's also there also seem to be some differences that um, that we can see, you know, like with metta practice. We focus on persons. You know, may you be happy. May you be free. The wisdom practice or the mindfulness practice tends to be a little more impersonal. The meta practice tends to be more personal. 
the loving kindness practice, uh, the wisdom practice tends to be more impersonal. You know, and even you have in some texts the sense of being able to see the flow of phenomena without bringing in a sense of self. That's actually very explicit in a lot of the wisdom teachings. So this could appear to be different, right? Love, and it comes up in when we teach loving kindness, it comes up all the time. You know, how does this mesh with mindfulness practice or wisdom practice where we seem to be encouraged not to bring in a sense of self? But in meta practice, we're doing that all the time. You know, what's going on, right? And I'm, I'm not meaning to confuse you right now, but I'm just pointing to what can be tensions, right? How many people have wondered about that? In your, in your practice, right? And so I'm trying to clarify why there could be some, uh, some tensions like that. You know, related to that, we could say that metta seems to be more on the warm side and our wisdom practice tends to be cool, right? We coolly see stuff, right? Something like that. You know, if, if, I would, if I would give a flavor, the metta tends to be warm and the mindfulness and wisdom tend to be just, just, just see clearly, you know, with, even with, a, a, we might say, even with a certain amount of detachment. And yet, this is really my next point, is that loving kindness and mindfulness and wisdom practice, they all need each other. And they're actually, they actually are more interrelated than we might think from our experience. So, for example, we know that with our loving-kindness practice, as I mentioned in the, uh, I think, in the guided meditation, we need mindfulness to be able to keep coming back, right? Without mindfulness, our meta-practice won't get very far. And so there's a kind of an inner intersection there. We need, we need meta-practice we need mindfulness practice, I should say, just to keep coming back, just to do the practice fully. And, you know, when we're doing the loving-kindness practice and connect it with the other heart practices, they tend to bring in the wisdom dimension. We, you know, uh, the Buddha really taught loving-kindness in connection with compassion practice and joy and equanimity practice as a heart practice. And the equanimity brings in the wisdom. So that's a bit of a corrective, what I said earlier. We have that, we have some integration because mature metta has to have a certain degree of equanimity. And that'll bring in the wisdom factor. And that's actually taught when we teach the Brahma Vihara together, which isn't taught that much. <laughs> you know, I generally teach that once a year, teach a, a Brahma Vihara retreat. And the teaching is actually that when loving-kindness doesn't have the qualities of compassion, joy, and equanimity, it becomes distorted. For example, when loving-kindness doesn't have wisdom or equanimity, we may tend to be overly attached to a particular being, right? We don't have that equanimity or balance. And there's a very similar way that our mindfulness and wisdom practice need to have qualities of warmth and kindness and compassion. You know that with, without the heart qualities, wisdom gets distorted. 
you know, we might be, we might become sort of indifferent, you know, I'm, I have a detached, cool wisdom, right? And we, you know, that's a distortion of wisdom. We need that sense of warmth and connection. Another way wisdom uh, can, we can learn to have that sense of um, the heart connected with wisdom is in the fact that when we are doing mindfulness practice and we encounter our own pain, compassion naturally develops. Right? So there's a way that compassion and kindness naturally develop when we can truly be mindful of what's difficult or painful for ourselves and really stay with it. So that's another way that they're actually more connected than they might seem at first. You know, and even the lines at the end of the Metta Sutta, there are lines that go, freed from hatred and ill will, by not holding to fixed views, the, pu the pure-hearted one with clarity of vision. We might say the pure-hearted one has clarity of vision. So in the Metta Sutta, right at the end, it's really clear that there's a unity of wisdom and the kind heart. You know, even though it's not so obviously taught, and we don't, we don't teach it so obviously, it's also there in later Buddhist tradition. Often in later Buddhist tradition, it's said that the essence of our practice is like the bird that has two wings, the wing of wisdom on the one hand, or I should say on the one wing, <laughs> and compassion on the other wing, right? That we that that's often how the whole of our practice is understood, as bringing those together. So that's another place where we see, kind of a corrective to the sense of how they're they're separate. But again, we don't always have a clear sense of how we bring them together. You know, um, in other Buddhist traditions, there it sometimes is more explicit. I've I've studied a Tibetan Dzogchen tradition. And it's said in that tradition that our deeper awareness has three qualities. And listen, and you can hear aspects of both wisdom and the kind heart. The three aspects are uh, a, a sense of emptiness, which brings in the wisdom dimension, a sense of clarity or knowing, which brings in wisdom and mindfulness, and then a sense of compassion or responsiveness, that's taken to be our most deep nature, has those three qualities. So that's pretty explicit in that, in that tradition. And, you know, I think even when I look to other traditions, you know, I, I, uh, I've mentioned in the last times that I, I was thinking also of, uh, in the last uh, two months, of uh, Dr. Martin Luther King a lot. And there are lines from Dr. King where he says that, Love is the key that unlocks the door which leads to ultimate reality. Maybe you remember that passage where, where it's almost like there's a sense of love opening up to knowing the depths of reality. And he's saying that goes across all traditions. You know, in, I think actually in the, both the teachings of the Buddha, here I'm, I'm saying where there is more of a sense of the connection of the heart qualities and, and uh, wisdom and mindfulness. 
there is in in the in some of the less common teachings of the Buddha, there is a sense of a vast awareness, which is very much like the radiating metta that we explored in the guided practice. For for you know we have that sense of a of a vast awareness, which is uh, is actually how the Buddha typically taught uh, loving kindness. You know, you may remember some of the passages from the Metta Sutta. So with a boundless heart should one cherish all living beings, radiating kindness over the entire world, upwards to the skies and downwards to the depths, outwards and unbounded. In other passages, the Buddha says, one abides having suffused with a mind of metta, one direction of the world, likewise the second, likewise the third, likewise the fourth, so above, below, around, and everywhere, and to all as to oneself. That's actually the practice we did in the guided practice that we've done. It's really, you know, so there's a sense of a vast awareness which is infused with metta. And we find that at other times as well, uh, there's a sense of a vast awareness where the Buddha, in one passage, the Buddhist talks about how awareness can be beyond concepts, can be boundless and luminous. The Buddha says where consciousness is signless, boundless, all luminous, that's where earth, water, fire, and air find no footing both long and short, small and great, fair and foul, are gone. So another way of saying this is when we go to this deep, radiant awareness, it's one of the places where there seems to be a sense of awareness and loving kindness coming together. This is a more deep state that's not, not always easy to access, but I think it could be accessed in the radiating meta. How many people had some taste or flavor of it in what we did earlier. So it's not that hard to access. It's hard to, for it to be there in a stable way for a long time. <laughs> That's where our practice in its depths is going, actually. To have this large, vast awareness with loving kindness and awareness be how we live. That's where we're going. One of the uh, other expressions of this that I've been inspired by comes from the teacher Ramdas. How many people know the, the, some of the teachings of Ramdas? So Ramdas talked about developing what he called a loving awareness, which I really like because it brings together awareness, which has a, a knowing quality with love or with the quality of loving. And I, in, a, in a little while, I'll talk about how he suggests practicing that. Another really interesting expression I found in the uh, Hindu yogi Nisargadatta. He really is talking about how at our depths of our practice, there's a unity of wisdom and love. This is, this is how it comes off in the translation. This is from Nisargadatta, one of the great yogis of the 20th century. He, uh, his writings and teachings were compiled in a book called I Am That which is a beautiful, a beautiful book. I am that, which you might want to look for. This is what he says. 
I find that somehow by shifting the focus of attention, I become the very thing I look at and experience the kind of consciousness it has. I become the inner witness of the thing or the person. I call this capacity of entering other focal points of consciousness love. You may give it any name you like. <laughs> he says, I call it love. Love says, I am everything. Wisdom says, I am nothing. Between the two, my life flows. Love says, I am everything. Wisdom says, I am nothing. Between the two, my life flows. Since at any point of time and space, I can be both the subject and object of experience, I express it by saying that I am both and neither and beyond both. So how to practice? How to practice to have our sense of kindness and warmth be more connected with mindfulness and wisdom? Uh, number one, practice each separately and develop them to greater levels of strength. That is probably how most of us practice. And there can be a real value in really practicing mindfulness uh, daily, if possible, in retreats, and really training to develop mindfulness more and more, develop our wisdom more and more. So practice them separately. Practice loving kindness separately. You know, for a good period of time, we don't have to worry about the integration or the connection. Practice them separately. Develop, and even when we're interested in the integration, it can be really valuable to practice them separately for periods of time, which is kind of what we did in the guided meditation. We did them separately. Then, practice them in proximity to each other. This might mean if you have a half-hour meditation, do your first 10 minutes loving-kindness, and then 20 minutes of mindfulness practice. Do them in proximity to each other, one of my Tibetan teachers, Mingya Rinpoche, said, when you do practices in proximity to each other, they mingle. <laughs> when you do practices near, to, near in time to each other, they mingle. And so what that means, if you, this is what I was having us explore in the guided meditation, could we practice, you know, practice two or three minutes of loving-kindness, then some mindfulness, then some loving-kindness, then some mindfulness. Or, you know, again, you know, it could be better maybe in daily practice, 10 minutes loving-kindness, 20 minutes mindfulness, something like that. You know, maybe end with two or three minutes metta. They will tend to, they will tend to come together. You know, and we can also notice how they you know, how they uh, reinforce each other, how we need the mindfulness to do our loving-kindness practice, like I mentioned, how we need the kind heart to sometimes to be with what's difficult or painful that comes up in our mindfulness practice, right? That we can, if we, if we remember that, we can see more and more how they, they integrate. 
we can work with the intention to bring them together. Maybe starting out with that intention, maybe starting out with Sylvia's phrase, bring that to mind. May I meet this moment fully? May I meet this moment as a friend? If that resonates with you, you could say that or work with an intention. May these, may, may my heart practice and my mindfulness mingle. Try to see how to do both in daily life. You know, how to bring mindfulness in. You can do the same thing in daily life. You know, what I, I like to work with radiating metta and try to bring that into daily life. Can I be with radiating metta? You know, I just kind of, even right now, I look this way. I see trees and plants. Can I have radiating metta? And then can I have some awareness as well? Radiating metta is a great way to, to, to do the bridge. And then and that, that kind of opens us up to a, a deeper level, you know, where we go to that large awareness, which, which is, again, it's easy to access for a short while, not so easy to have stable for a while. But if we can access that, can we keep on coming back to that large awareness, the radiating metta, and, and practice that? Um, and so see what, see what works for you. Maybe in the, in the discussion can really hear from people what has helped you to make those connections between the heart qualities and the, the wisdom and mindfulness qualities. You know? And I'll, I'll give also the practice from Ramdas, you know, the practice of developing loving awareness. You know, I think his teacher said, to him, you are the vast heart of awakening. To bring together that clear seeing and kind of a very attentive presence, but also love. So let me, uh, let me give you Ram Dass's words and do this as a little short practice right now. And you can actually, it invites us to look at people and you can look to the people on the Zoom screen as I do this. So this will be a very short practice. So this is Ram Das. How does one become loving awareness? If I change my identification, he says, from the more narrow sense of self to the deeper level of each person, he calls that the soul, then I look at people and they all appear like souls to me. Can you do that with the people on our screen? Seeing everyone here as this deep, soulful being that's deeper than the maybe the more presenting sense of self or the ordinary sense of self. I change from my head the thought of who I am to my spiritual heart, which is a different sort of awareness, feeling directly, intuiting, loving awareness. We actually is going also to the center of the heart area. It's changing from a worldly outer identification to a spiritual inner identification. Concentrate on your spiritual heart right in the middle of your chest. Keep repeating the phrase as you feel that heart area, I am loving awareness. I am loving awareness. I am loving awareness. I'll just, just maybe stay with that for a minute or two. Feeling the heart area, much like our radiating metta, 
and say, I am loving awareness to yourself. Just do this for about a minute or two now. I am loving awareness. Feeling both the sense of awareness and the sense of love brought together. And I'll, I'll close now. And feel free to keep loving awareness for the rest of your life. Don't need to come back. <laughs> okay. um, but no pressure. Okay. okay, so let me finish with uh, coming back uh, in closing to the Metta Sutta, the, the words of the Buddha on loving kindness. And I'll... I'll as you hear it, listen forth for that quality of that vast awareness. And then right at the end, he'll come back and make, and make the connection with wisdom. You know, that uh, there's that sense of being freed from hatred and ill will, which is really about having done the, uh, having done the mindfulness practice to really see where there's uh, grasping or, or compulsive pushing away, right? Doing that practice not holding to fixed views. These are all aspects of our mindfulness or wisdom practice. So listen for this passage. This is the last part of the uh, uh, Metta Sutta, the text, the discourse on loving kindness. So, with a boundless heart, should one cherish all living beings, radiating kindness over the entire world, spreading upwards to the skies and downwards to the depths, outwards and unbounded, freed from hatred and ill will, whether standing or lying down, or walking or seated, one should sustain this recollection. This is said to be the sublime abiding, not holding to fixed views, the pure-hearted one with clarity of vision. Let's just sit for a few moments now, see what resonates for you. See if there are any questions or any sharing, maybe of some ways that you have found to make connections between the kind heart and mindfulness or wisdom. See what comes up for you and maybe a question, a sharing, maybe a request to say more about a particular point.
Let me invite now anyone who would like to speak to uh, use either the raised hand function or raise your hand. And let me just say that I think that we are, this is very much like a community project to really make these connections between the kind heart and the, uh, the mindfulness and the clear seeing. So, uh, Kathy, please. And you have to unmute. Okay. Um, I worked for a lot of my career in the corporate world where, of course, you're taught never, never <laughs> to be anything but clear-sighted. Yeah. Um, and, and I have um, actually been lucky enough to take your sessions on the Brahma Viharas. Yeah. And one thing that, that finally sort of brought some clarity to me about this yeah. um, is when you talk about the shadow side of, in other words, the shadow side of um, loving kindness right. is sentimentality. Yeah. Um, and I had to learn, and also Thich Nhat Hanh said, we are more than our emotions. Yeah. And those two things finally brought it together to me that what, what the um, sort of Western teaches fear is sentimentality. Yeah. And they fear emotion. Yeah. But it's not impossible to be very loving and be clear at the same time. Yeah, beautifully said, uh, Kathy. And you know, I like the reminder that um, I, I, you know, I brought out that point in some ways that without that integration, there would be tendencies for the loving kindness to get distorted without the wisdom. And similarly, tendencies without the kind heart for the wisdom to get overly cool or a little bit um, indifferent or aloof, right? And, and also not have the tools to actually deal with uh, pain. You know, to be with pain, there's a nat when we're with that, with really awareness, there's a natural opening of the heart that occurs. You know, that, that's actually how compassion is defined, really. It's the when the heart is awake, um, compassion naturally arises when there's pain. And then, yeah, and then just the, again, you're also you know, pointing to your experience more in the corporate setting and sort of the, uh, <clears throat> the way that in many parts of the culture, there's a downplaying of emotions, right? Or seeing them as sentimental or not trustworthy or so forth. Yeah, hopefully that's been shifting a fair amount, but it's still there probably in many places, right? Yeah. Yeah, thanks so much, Kathy. Mm -hmm. Other other sharing questions? Uh, Viv, please. And then Victoria, yeah. Okay. This is... Um it's a real coincidence, which happens in my life a lot. I had an experience this morning where I did combine mindfulness with metta, wow. not on purpose. Wow. So let's see if I can like really make it short. Yeah. Um, okay, I did a really, um, I did a, I don't know how to say this, the right words. I had a really good morning meditation when I got up. Yeah. Long, peaceful, joyous. Yeah. It was like great. Okay, so um I come downstairs, my husband's there for breakfast. He 
often starts his morning conversation with something that annoys me so much. And this is going on for years, and I know it's important to him, and I usually turn my back, and I'm just, Yeah. Well, this morning, I looked at him when he started talking, and I, it was like clear seeing. I really looked at his body language, heard the tone of voice, everything. And it was like, wow, I see you really clearly. And then this immense gratitude and loving kindness welled up in wow. me. And the two merged. Wow. Great. Quite an example. Yeah. Really beautiful that for, for some reason you could see clearly, because normally with reactivity, we, you know, we just get triggered in a moment we get triggered, and when we're reactive like that, uh, the heart basically closes down. It's not there, right? right? And for whatever reason, you were able to go to a kind of clear seeing, which had the flavor of empathy, it sounds like, mm-hmm. really, of yeah. just seeing him without the reactivity. And then there could be this, um, the clear seeing in that situation, and maybe, maybe, uh, maybe highlighted some by the fact that there has been a history of, of reactivity in these instances, right? That it could, that something opened up to joy and a warm heart, but beautiful, beautiful account. Yeah. Yeah. So I loved your talk about this topic, of course. Yeah. yeah. Wonderful. Thank yeah. You. No, so it's so crucial. And, um, you know, I, I, this is the first talk I've given on this. It's, um, you know, it was, uh, you know, really, uh, even though, you know, some thoughts have been there for a while, it's really, I brought it together more just um, last night and this morning. <laughs> well, thank you. Good timing for me. Thank you. Very, <laughs> thanks for your story, Viv. It's great. Uh, Victoria, please. Great. Are you there, Victoria? Let's see, did she some have a computer issue? I don't see her. She may have dropped out. Dropped out temporarily, yeah. Yeah. Okay, we can come back to her. Hopefully she'll come back. Um, anyone else? have? I, I love the story from Viv, if anyone has a story like that. Uh, Lucy, please. You're still muted, uh, Lucy. Sorry. Um, Yeah, I really got a lot out of this talk. Thank you so much. And um, as you're talking about metta and the heart practices, the Brahma Viharas of compassion and um, sympathetic joy, equanimity, I also thought about how in the East, you know, that the practice begins with generosity. Yeah and with ethics and how those are really hard practices like when um we practice generosity it it brings a warm heart it brings a warm feeling when we practice the precepts um you know knowing that uh we are trying to put goodness out in the world it, it to me is a hard practice although it's not one of the you know, Brahma Viharas, yeah. but, um, and then mindfulness 
comes after that. So as you were talking, I was thinking about that, that, you know, the practice really is an integration of those kinds of things that bring a warm heart, that bring a warmth, as well as the wisdom aspect. Yeah, that's a, that's a great point. Really, uh, really, really helpful, Lucy, because <clears throat> uh, two things, really. I think, I think you're um, really pointing to how in traditional training, let's say in the Asian Buddhist context, like with the teachings of the Buddha, there are, you know, there are these three main areas uh, which correspond to the uh, Noble Eightfold Path, training in wisdom and training in meditation, training in ethics, or how we act uh, in community with each other and so forth. And then when the Buddha was actually teaching, he always liked to begin with generosity and teachings on generosity. And these, these I think you're right, these really sort of establish a framework of maybe warmth and kindness and relationship uh, with others, you know, right at the beginning. That's, um, that's really crucial. And then we look to how is Buddhist, how does Buddhist training typically occur in Western contexts? Well, the only time we really talk about generosity is when we give so-called Donna talks. <laughs> at the end of a retreat <laughs> or something like that, right? And so it's, it's actually rare to talk about generosity in a Dharma talk. You know, it happens sometimes. I've given them, typically around Thanksgiving, I think. And, um, uh, and then secondly, we rarely teach on ethics in the West, right? You know, clearly it's meditation that's at the center of most insight meditation communities and you know when you know I've, I've said this probably a number of times but when when two practitioners talk to each other and they ask how is your practice going a typical response will will not be oh my ethical practice is going really well I've been really really mindful of non-harming recently that is typically not said rather the more typical answer is Oh, my practice is going really well. I'm, I'm, I'm really stable on half an hour a day, which basically means meditation, right? And so I think what you're pointing to is, is really helpful in those two ways, that we can see how this, in the traditional setting, would bring in heart qualities and help with the integration, but it's more, tends to be missing, not always missing, but tends to be missing in what most, how most people train in the West. Interesting, right? Really, yeah. really helpful. Great. Maybe time for one or two more. If there anyone did, Victoria come back? Okay. Anyone else want to share? You know, maybe a story like when what's helped you to integrate uh, mindfulness and loving kindness. Or maybe something about how it's been difficult. Again, if you want to, you can just raise your hand because anyone with a video on, I can see. Uh, Sandra, please. Hi there. I, I'm not sure if my video is working. I'm 
I'm getting a fuzziness on my screen. I can see you pretty well, yeah. Okay. Um, thank you, Donald. I so appreciate this, this talk. And I have to admit, in the beginning, I was a little bit uh, skeptical. I often have a, an aversion to... Oh, is my video off now? It's, it's off now, yeah. You feel free to just... Uh, Either, yeah, end your video and keep on okay. with the talking. Okay. Yeah. Um, I often have an aversion to meta practice. Oh, yeah. Um, but I have so appreciated today. It has really clarified an, a really important... Um, I, I'm in, in a bit of a crisis right now with work. Hmm. I, I am a social worker. I work in mental health. I've... I'm on medical leave, feeling very burned out, oh. not sure where to go next. And I realize what has happened over the years is that my meta wing has become very injured. Hmm. And I have been trying to fly with just mindfulness. Yeah. And, yeah. and, and wisdom, like working in, in the system, in a medical system, it's just very um, thought-focused, very logical, which seems a little bit counterintuitive, you know, working in mental health, I would, you would think it'd be more emotion-based, but it's yeah. not. Wow. Wow. <laughs> um, and yeah, it's, what's really interesting, too, is I had a dream four or five nights ago where someone said to me, you're too aloof. And you, you said that word maybe 10 minutes ago, you know, when mm. you were talking about what happens when the mindfulness and the wisdom gets distorted, you become too aloof. Yeah. So I'm not sure if I'm making any sense. I'm just kind of blurting it all out because I've just sort of haven't had an epiphany and I'm just so grateful. I feel clear about how I need to move forward and how I need to move forward is with getting balance back. Yeah. With meta practice and loving kindness in the heart. Yeah. So thank you. Thank you so much, uh, Sandra. Um, am I pronouncing your name right, Sandra? Yes. Yeah. Okay. Um, there's a lot there in what you say, and you know, both on a personal level, and I think also pointing to some of the challenges in, you know, in, in the healthcare field, mental health field. Uh, but yeah, but it, it's uh, quite a, a synchronicity in a way to have that uh, have that dream from a few days ago, and the talk can really, you know, it seems like it's really given you things have come together, right? There's some clarity. Um, and yeah, it, it's um, kind of like tragic that in so many medical settings, it does become a little, little more almost like, you know, the word that was coming to mind was clinical, right? In the, in the sense of being a little bit, uh, or, or a lot, aloof, uh, thought-based and so forth. And, you know, uh, I, I've actually done consulting several times in medical settings and with doctors and nurses and, you know, with, with different organizations. And um, there are a lot of challenges even to bringing the practices because they're, 
there are institutional issues such as you know overwork, right? Or you know, and again, um, yeah. And the consulting I did was before the pandemic, and a lot of things even harder with the pandemic. And so, yeah, what would it be like to have that full integration of clarity, wisdom, mindfulness, and the kind heart in a medical setting? Right? I use a beautiful vision because it would be so powerful. And there, there probably are places where that's being done some. I know some of my consulting was teaching people in medical settings, so they were trying to bring the, these in as best they could. You know, although we, we, in all the settings I was at, we did talk about institutional constraints that made, that could make things harder. Yeah. Yeah. Any, any other thoughts, uh, Sandra, on that? I, I love the vision as well. Yeah. <laughs> it is a beautiful vision to have it all integrated. And I, yeah. 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 May that may that develop. Um, okay, so we're we're at the ending of the time for our for our gathering. I want to end in a few ways. First of all, to give thanks to Monique. Yay, Monique! Yay! <laughs> Thank you, Monique. And, Thank you. And secondly, just to invite everyone, including myself, to sit quietly and see what may have been helpful from our time together, maybe from the guided practice, the, the talk. And sometimes we get things in the meditation period which don't have anything to do with the topic, and they're still really valuable. So I'm inviting whatever was helpful or valuable whether or not it's related to the topic, but for many of us, it might be related to the theme. Let that, res let that be there for a while and see if there's an intention coming out of our time together. And then we'll offer the dedication of merit, a traditional practice. May our time together bring benefit to ourselves. May our time together bring benefit to others in our circles, those near to us. And then beyond our own circles, may our time together in known and unknown ways bring benefit to others, ultimately to all others. May our time together be of benefit to all beings, knowing that we are part of all beings.
So thank you so much. A pleasure. I'll say goodbye in my usual way. And thank if you, you. If you want to unmute and um, say anything, feel free. Thank you, Donald. Thank you, Minnie. Thank you, everyone. Thank you, Donald. Thank you, Donald. Great talk. My pleasure, everyone. Bye-bye. Bye-bye. Bye. -bye. Bye.